This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. We should turn to experts on algorithms to help us figure out how algorithms are going to be used in marketing decisions and in public policy decisions. And to that end, we have an expert on this who is an assistant professor of marketing at the Booth School of Business at the University of Chicago, Berkeley Deep Force. Hello, Berkeley. Hi, thank you for having me here. And the reason why we wanted our colleague, who's a professor of marketing at the Wharton School, Raghu Iyengar, on this call with us is because Americus and I don't really know that much about this area, although we can ask tons of questions. And we were hoping Raghu would make Wharton look good. So, Raghu. Sure, I'm happy to do that. But I, I, I know the questions you'll ask will be very interesting. <laughs> Thank you, Raghu, for being here. So now let's go back, Berkeley, to what Americus asked you. Yes. Help us understand Berkeley and Raghu. Please help us. Uh, give us the the, uh, the the algorithms for dummies, you know, quick overview. <laughs> All right. Well, the way I think about algorithms uh, in my research and in the world is an algorithm is really any step-by-step decision-making process that's consistent that we don't deviate from. So it can be something really simple like a recipe or any written down list or rule that you make, as long as you follow it, you're following an algorithm. And so it can be very simple things like that up to really complicated things like pages and pages long computer algorithms that perform complex operations. Is there a baseline of distrust around that consumers will uh, exhibit around when asked some understanding like, we don't trust this, that's question number one. And then question number two is what, what subgroups of consumers might have more or less of that perception? That's a great question. So I think my best answer to your first question is, it really depends on the domain. Um, So in deterministic domains, where we can always give a perfect answer, people seem to be generally very accepting of algorithms, right? Everyone seems to use calculators these days without thinking too much about it. People are fine going online and recalling established facts or looking something up everyone's completely fine with that it seems that's true when it yeah. when it gets tricky is when we're operating in domains that are somewhat random which mm-hmm. means you can't always make a perfect decision or prediction mm-hmm. and then some of my research has found that um once people see an algorithm make a mistake or learn that it's imperfect they no longer really want to use it even if they've also seen it perform very well and better mm-hmm. than the human they've watched perform Um, So people kind of want to abandon this algorithm once they've learned that it's imperfect. And I think there's also some other different domain differences. Uh, In another paper, one that we're really finding with my colleague Dan Bartels at Booth is that when people feel that a domain has moral content, so it's an ethical question, it's very morally relevant, then it seems like they really don't want to use an algorithm to make decisions in that domain. Interesting. And wait, Berkeley, let me stop you on that. Isn't that right? I mean, if, oh, wait, what, what, wait a what second, do you Barbara. feel about that? Like, yeah, I yeah. mean, if it's some kind of moral, why should I trust an algorithm if it's some kind of moral decision? How, how do you get around that? Well, I actually think in a lot of domains, I would personally want to use an algorithm, but I know that I'm an outlier since I spend all day researching <laughs> about this. algorithms. Right. That's funny. That's no, funny. I think, um, uh, go ahead, go ahead, Berkeley, please. I, I think the real trick in moral domains and what's so hard is actually it's really hard to agree on what we're trying to maximize yeah. right. or what we're trying to predict. Right. Right. So where we really disagree on moral domains is you might think that one thing is really important 
and I might have a different moral rule in mind. That's correct. And when we're watching humans operate, that's not transparent. That's interesting. However, whenever we write down an equation and we see it like you can with an algorithm, it's very transparent what it's going to prioritize. Mm, and there's always going to be some people who say, well, that's not what I think is the moral thing to do. So so what what so what in a in a vaccination context, Berkeley, just to follow up with what you were saying, the notion of what good means. Would would good or better or best mean the ability to I mean, what do you compare? So here's the algorithm and it and it says here is the prioritization list of the vaccination. I mean, what do you look at after that? You'll have, you know, some list of deaths that occur, you know, or are occurring while you're doing this process. But what 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 does success in a vaccination prioritization algorithm even look like? <laughs> yeah. I think I think that's what's really tricky in this domain yeah. is it's really in the eye of the beholder. So different consumers are going to look at this and they're all going to have different criteria for what good means. So someone will want the one that saves the most people. Another one will want one that also thinks about how much money we're saving. Another one will want to protect people in certain groups because maybe they've been really affected by this. Yeah. And so it's really hard to say. And I don't think any of us can say objectively what the one true answer is. So I was thinking also when thinking about what's better and what errors are, I suppose there's type one and type two types of errors. And what I mean by that is, you know, making a, a decision that say a prioritization in, in vaccines would be um, giving the wrong person the vaccine because it's not helpful, I suppose, or not giving the right person the vaccine because you used some rule that didn't pr prioritize that. So like whenever you're making any kind of decision, you're always balancing this notion of type one, type two errors, which typically goes let an innocent man, you know, lock up an innocent man or let a guilty man go free, that kind of idea. So in general, when you're using, when you're trying to decide these algorithms, Berkeley, do you have that kind of notion of balancing these two types of errors? I think it's a really tricky problem. They can be very complicated in domains where one error is much more costly than the other. So in a lot of my research where we've actually done forecasting tasks, it's been very symmetrical, right? Where being, mm. for example, like one too low versus one too high are equally bad. Um, I think in a lot of real world domains, like you're saying, you could have really different penalties for failing to give someone a vaccine right. versus giving someone a vaccine that turns out to not be helpful because they were already immune. Um, and then I think that's one more dimension that's really going to make building the algorithm complicated mm. because the algorithm will come up with different rules depending on how much you tell it to penalize those two errors. So if you tell it it's really bad to do type one errors or it's mm. really bad to commit type two errors, you could end up with a completely different formula and a different ordering of that you'd give people vaccines. And who makes those decisions? Yeah, I think uh, to me, that's the that's the critical issue, which is on the one hand, you can think about, uh, and again, I, I keep pointing at Berkeley because he's done some really nice work. Uh, you can keep thinking about, you know, uh, is the algorithm quote unquote deciding, you know, who gets it and is also making all the decisions or do humans quote unquote get to intervene and tweak the parameters such that they fine tune the algorithm as it goes along. From what I understand you, Berkeley, from your work, I mean, people usually prefer the latter, which is if you have some control over what the algorithm might do, people might be more sort of at least accepting of those algorithms than something that is self-refining and reinforcing by itself. <laughs> Interesting. That's absolutely right. So in our very early work, um, we had that finding that I described where 
once see that once people see that an algorithm is imperfect, they no longer want to use it. In our follow-up paper to that, we were trying to get to see how can we get people to use imperfect algorithms. And so what we did is we manipulated whether or not a human could adjust the algorithm. Mm-hmm. And we found that once people could adjust the algorithm, even if it was only a trivial adjustment, mm-hmm. they were much happier to use an imperfect algorithm than if they were forced to use the algorithm without adjusting it. Two things. One is, is your position, and you may your answer to this might be, it depends, but is your position that, uh, that algorithms are good? That's number one. And then question number two is, do you have thoughts on how we might market algorithms to people, like the idea so that people understand what they are, they understand what not to perceive about them, they understand, you know, not to make, you know, you know what I mean? So in some senses, they, they, they have a sense. It's kind of like when Gatorade talks about electrolytes. It's like, tell us what electrolytes are. Teach us. How do you market that? So is there, <laughs> do you have thoughts on this? How do you market algorithms to make them more successful, more adoptable, and to avoid some of these issues that your research is uncovering? Sure. I, I definitely have answers to both of those. So for the first question, I believe it was, do I think algorithms are good? And I think that algorithms are good at doing what you ask them to do. And so I think if you set up some kind of statistical model or something, and you've told it to maximize this variable, I believe in almost all cases, it's going to be better than a human at maximizing that variable. I think the only times where I'm concerned about algorithms are when that objective that you've given the algorithm isn't really the right objective or isn't the whole picture, right? So you can imagine scenarios where you've asked this algorithm for something very specific and it'll give you exactly that, but it could have some consequences that you did not yeah. foresee. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but in general, I think yeah. if, you're, if you have a concrete objective, I believe algorithms will be better than humans in most domains at accomplishing that. Um, two, how do we market algorithms? That's a really tough question. So a few things I've tried one, like I mentioned, uh, if you can say that there's a human in the loop or mm-hmm. there's a human overseeing the algorithm or there's a human making sure there's not a mistake, yeah. I think that's very helpful. Okay. I think another big thing is reframing what perfection means if you can. Right. So we've already talked about once people see that an algorithm is imperfect, they no longer want to use it. But if you can say, you know, anything within 10%, we count as perfect. Now an algorithm mm. might always be very Got close it. to perfect and you have no reason to distrust it. Gotcha. Which is a hard thing to convince people of, but if you <laughs> could figure out how to do it, that would be great. Um, the last one I think that could be interesting is because people recognize in a lot of domains that algorithms are better on average, mm-hmm. but they might be more likely to hit a home run. If you can get them to make a decision instead of just on a case-by-case basis, but for a whole bundle of future decisions, uh, then it's more natural to use the algorithm, right? So a doctor in any right. one case, if he said, should I have the, the algorithm diagnose someone or myself, it's a hard decision. Hmm. But if you have past data showing mm-hmm. that the algorithm is more accurate on average mm-hmm. and you have to make a decision like for the next 100 patients, which should I use? then it's clear that you have to use the one that's better on average. Well, this is such an interesting area. Berkeley and Raghu, thank you so much for joining us today. And Berkeley, where can our listeners go to keep up with you and your research? Oh, if you just Google my name, I have a University of Chicago website. So Berkeley Dietvorst, that should pop up pretty quickly because it's a unique name and my recent (laughs) research is there. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.